You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Uh, we are in a new series, and it's one we're really excited about. It is from the book of Romans, chapter 8 being the one that we are going to study uh, over the next six weeks, and it is such a good chapter. You know, it's one of those chapters that if you're a guy or a gal that starts to highlight or underline things in your uh, Bible reading, you'll find yourself underlining every single verse and going, well, what's the point? Maybe I just leave the whole thing uh, as it is because it's so rich and so good. You know, there's a when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, uh, there was a show that I loved. It was the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, some of you are like, what in the world is that? Uh, others, you're like, man, I loved that show too. The main idea in that was you had these people from, you know, uh, the middle of nowhere. They were hillbillies, they were country bumpkins, and they were filthy rich, and they did not understand the wealth that had been given to them. They just could not get their hands around the new life as millionaires, what would currently today be billionaires, but they could not understand their new position, their new wealth. I thought about that a lot as a Christian, particularly as I read Romans 8. I see myself as like a modern-day Beverly Hillbilly, uh, not really understanding the new riches that are mine because of what Jesus has done for me, because I am an adopted son of the living God. I so want you to hear the voice of God this morning, to listen as He speaks to you, as you unfold the promises of God and you start to see who you are, it changes everything. And so what I want to do is invite you, pray with us now, ask the Lord to calm your heart, to give you clarity of thought and the ability to hear His voice because He knows who you are and He knows where you're at. And there are gifts that God wants to give you in these truths that will change your heart, change your life as you understand who you are in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Let's ask Him for His help, okay? So Father, we are grateful today that You love us, uh, that You saw us before the foundation of the earth and You called us to Yourself. And in time, You drew us to You and You have been uh, giving us greater joy and greater hope, greater perspective as we learn what it means that Christ has died in our place, that the debt has been paid, that we have been freed, and now we live as those who are adopted sons of the living God. And so we thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 12. On down through, uh, what is that, uh, verse 17. Well, let me read that and you follow along in your Bible. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You know, chapter 8 and verse 12 says, So then, brothers, and we want to really understand that that is very critical to this passage of Scripture. Paul is speaking to family members. He is speaking to those who have been born again, those who have uh, been given life in Jesus and have come to grips and understanding their sin, but also that Jesus has paid their debt. And so when Paul is speaking to this, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Let me take a moment and just kind of help you understand that. If this verse gets taken out of context, we're in trouble, right? Because we see this word, and some of your Bibles might even say, we are under obligation rather than debtors. It's this idea that once you come to grips uh, with this, uh, this picture of Jesus as a substitutionary atoning uh, sacrifice for you, it makes logical sense that then you would begin to see your life as a stewardship. That you would see that if if he's paid my eternal debt and that I am eternally free because of him, that I would then turn around and give my life to him, that I might live for him. Uh, we don't want to say uh, that as we follow Christ, that the debt has been free, uh, paid, and so I'm free to do whatever the heck I want. We don't make the conclusion that once we understand the atonement of Christ, all of a sudden we're free to go and live a selfish life. In fact, if you look at all of the epistles uh, written by the apostles, you'll find that in their introduction, the highest uh, credibility they have and the highest honor they have is that each one of them says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, a slave of Christ. They want to give their whole waking life, their whole uh, spiritual awakened life to the service of Jesus Christ. It makes sense. They've understood that their debt has been paid, and now they say, and I owe you all. I want to give my life to you. Not to live according to the flesh. I want you to think about this. Uh, the flesh in the Scripture is seen as not just your touchable physical flesh, but it is the whole unsaved mindset along with the touchable, physical, measurable flesh that we live in. It's the idea that we have um, this uh, flesh that wants to be gratified now. It's uh, a desire to live in the satisfaction of what this world can give. And he says, you have within you a capacity to continue on wanting and desiring and indulging in that. But we don't want to live in debt to the flesh. We don't want to live our lives as those who only understand this physical earth and its gratification in the moment. We want to live for something greater than that. We want to live as those who understand our calling in Christ. Think about this picture of the thief on the cross. He gets saved and within a matter of hours, he gets to go home. I think every Christian kind of wants that. Like, man, I... If I'm saved, can I just go on to whatever this paradise is that Jesus was talking about to him? Why am I given decades and decades, and some longer than others? Uh, but why am I here? I'm here as an ambassador. I'm here as a servant of God. Is that some form of ripoff to me? No. That's my greatest joy, my greatest hope, my greatest ambition is to serve him while I'm here on this earth. 
as an ambassador. In fact, one of uh, the Acts 29 churches in Colorado, the name of their church is the Embassy. And I thought, okay, I see what you're doing there. We are ambassadors, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are ambassadors. We serve a king uh, who has a kingdom. We are citizens of heaven, living in exile here. And we live as debtors, not unto the flesh, but uh, to live according to the flesh. But we live in service to Christ. And that's our greatest joy. Now, I want you to notice what's happening here in the next verse, what Paul says. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is one of those verses, right? That if it's taken out of its context, would cause you great fear, uh, uh, grief. But I don't want you to have fear and grief because if you rightly understand the gospel, you understand that that's not what he's leading you to. But don't make the mistake of not seeing the yellow blinking lights surrounding this verse. What Paul is saying is if you go ahead and you just indulge your fleshly desires, and there's a momentum behind that, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For Christians, we don't have to worry about eternal separation from Christ, which are, from God, which is eternal death. But I want you to see and understand this. Sin begets death. There's no other way around it. Sometimes it's the death of a relationship. Sometimes it's the death of an opportunity. And sometimes, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it is the death of a person physically, uh, prematurely. Paul even says that. This is the reason that some of you are sick. Some are you, of, of you are weak, and some of you have even slept, meaning you have died. Uh, I could tell you gruesome stories of what looks to me like Christians taken home early because they continued on in a life of fleshly indulgence. And I think out of God's grace, God took them home. It's not our place to know or understand how that works with God. But I will tell you this, the original lie in Genesis chapter 3 of the serpent is, you will surely not die. You can disobey God, you can sin, and have no consequence. Okay, but that's the original lie. What did God say? In the day you eat from this, you will surely die. Right? So this picture that I can go, and all of the advertisements used to be for Las Vegas, you can come here, you can indulge in a fleshly uh, uh, just exuberance, you can have uh, all the food you want, you can be a glutton, you can have sex, you can have money, you can have all this stuff, and then you can go back home. Like it never even happened. It's not true. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And those who have ultimately decided that this is what their life will be about, they give no evidence of spiritual life, no evidence that anything ever changed inside of them. Uh, even though they, they know all the places to say, uh-huh, and, and, and I agree with that, but yet they have no evidence of life within them. Uh, Paul is giving that warning to say, if you live according to the flesh, you will surely die. On the other hand, notice the binary uh, nature of this verse. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see that fork in the road? Those who are living according to the flesh will die. For the believer, there are going to be many deaths that the flesh will lead you into and can ultimately lead you into a physical death. God is sovereign over these things, but there is a warning behind that. But notice the joy and the life that comes after that where he says, If by the Spirit you put to death 
the deeds of the body you will live. Uh, I have in the last 12 months killed three snakes in my backyard. Maybe even more than that, but I don't want to let my wife know that. But anyway, uh, now that I go outside, I am in the backyard and in the front yard. I am watching for these snakes that might potentially encounter my family. We can't, we can't coexist peacefully. They tend to ruin social occasions. I have to put them to death. Um, I am alert and attuned and watching. In fact, I've even asked the Lord, if one of us in our family has to encounter a varmint in the backyard, please let it be me. And so I assume that he's going to, if they're there, he's going to let me be the first one to encounter them. Uh, I have uh, tools <laughs> on the ready for when I encounter this kind of thing. I want to put them to death. I want you to know this, that the sin patterns in your life, you can't put them to death ultimately with human will and effort. You, can't man you can manage them, but you can't put them to death. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, how do I... How do I do that? Well, let's just say that the Spirit who indwells you, once you become a Christian, is actively, actively at work in you, bringing life. He's not passive about confronting the sin patterns in your life. He is vigilantly looking and watching and eager to confront the sin pattern in your life, not so that he can manage it, but so that he might put it to death. This is his house now. He intends to see it properly built and properly functioning. And so when there's sin in your life, the Holy Spirit will begin to bring to light these areas of sin so that he might put them to death. What it means is counting to 10 really isn't the thing you need to do when you encounter your sin. Putting up fences around that sin is not ultimately where you're going to find success. You know where you're going to find it? Confessing to God that this sin is true. That this sin pattern is uh, not something that you're grading on a curve, but you would recognize, hey, this sin of impatience, this sin of lust, this sin of gluttony, this sin of laziness, this sin of gossip, this is actually sin and dishonoring, displeasing to you, Father. I'm not going to say that it's okay because everyone does it, I'm going to call it sin, and then in prayer, and on my knees, and with the confession of brothers around me, I'm going to say, pray for me. I can't seem to defeat this thing. It's a well-trodden path of sin and disobedience in my life. God, kill this thing in me. Kill this in me. Change me. Work your life-giving death of sin in me. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep on tracing around the same circle of sin and defeat and guilt and shame, and I'm never really going to get free from it. Confess sin to God. Confess sin to your brothers and sisters in Christ and say to them, I need you to pray for me. It's going to be humiliating for you in the best possible way. It's going to be a, a time where you can say, I... I am struggling with this, and I want to see an end put to it in my life. Okay? The Spirit of God is eager to do that. He says in verse 14, 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Gosh, I love this. I just love this verse. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When you become a Christian, something new, you you almost say, wow, this is new. There, There would be a moment where you go, wow, okay, this is very different than me trying to follow rules. This is different from me trying to have a set of do's and don'ts in my life because I want to behave well and I want to be a good man, a good woman, a good boy, a good girl. This is different. This is me understanding that the God who created me gave His Son, punished His Son, crushed His Son, according to Isaiah 53, so that I could be forgiven and freed. And it's no longer a desire just to be good. I have a desire to obey and honor and and submit to Him because I love Him. You know, when, when you become a Christian, He's going to swaddle you up as a new believer. He's going to shine His life-giving light on your soul. You're going to have a sense that, that the Spirit of God is saying inside of you, not don't do this and start doing this, but you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And that creates an affection for Him that at the price of His Son... I have been loved and saved. We have some new parents in our church. How would you feel if someone said, hey, I need you to give up your son to be mistreated, spit upon, crucified, beaten, all of that so that your enemies might become forgiven sons of God? How could you even for a moment lay hold of such an amazing truth? You know, it's so mind-bending to, to, to think like that. God gave His Son. And because of that, I feel inside of me the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Spirit of God dwells inside of me because these things are new. All of a sudden, I have a new sense of love for God, but I have a desire for His Word, a hunger to hear it. I have, when someone exalts the name of Jesus, something in me is saying, yes, 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 amen, yes. When I hear His name sung and exalted, man, there's just something in me that's saying, amen. I, there's a song that I have loved since I was a brand new Christian. Uh, it's a song I think I sang in my grandparents' church when I was a kid. It says, bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. It's the idea of Jesus finally getting the recognition of all of creation, that He is King and Lord. And everything in me just says, Amen. May it be. Where did that come from? It didn't come from religion. Let me tell you that. It came from the Spirit of God. Not only that, this hunger for the Word, that you want more of it, or the sense that you want to be around the saints of God, the church. You just want fellowship Because inside of them is the Spirit of God also. And so there's this longing for community. You know where that came from? God Himself lives eternally in community as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when you become a Christian and the Spirit of God lives inside you, you are led into this longing and desire to be with the people of God. And then you suddenly have a a conviction 
of sin that wasn't there before. All of these things are evidence of grace, evidence of life in you. Uh, Our kids uh, being raised, preacher's kids, uh, when they confessed Christ, I knew that talking with Monica, I said, let's let's wait, let's wait, because they have such a love for us that um, I want to make sure that their faith is their own. It's not just, I love dad, I love mom, and what they're saying I agree with, and I, uh, uh, I want them to agree with my theology. I just want to know for sure that I see evidence of life. Well, I prayed and said, God, would you show me that the Spirit of God lives inside of my children so that I can know as a pastor slash parent that uh, that as I baptize them, that this looks as best as what I best as I can see from where I sit as a parent living with this child, that they really do know that Jesus is their Savior, that He lives in them. So I started just praying and watching and looking for those evidences of life, because if the Spirit of God dwells in you, it says in clear terms here, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Even earlier, as I prayed and said. You've made us sons of the living God. You can almost hear somebody saying, well, that didn't sound extreme, sound very inclusive. I mean, can't we do a little more NIV or something like that? You know, I, I get that. I understand that. I want you to, before you give up on things like son of God, I want you to just think about this. There's something there that precedes masculinity and femininity. It is the character and nature of God. And this is how He describes our relationship to Him is in His Son, Jesus, which is our whole relationship to Him. We become sons of God. And guess what? Every man that is a believer in Christ becomes a bride of Christ. So you're men and women, sons of the living God. It really does still mean you are a son, a daughter of the living God, but it's through Christ, the Son of God, that you become right with Him. So you are a son of the living God. We are brides of Christ. I don't want to go, hey man, I, I, I kind of want to be a groom of Christ. Can I just be the groom? Like We're, we're not going to say that because there's something greater there than just marriage pictures. There is the heart and the nature of our God being expressed through these relationships okay and so don't trip up on that it really still just means that you are in Christ made right relationally with our father okay let's keep going a great verse here for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba father This is such a beautiful verse. Again, if you were underlining, you'd never get to stop underlining in this verse or in this chapter. You did not receive a spirit of of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, this is an amazing picture of clarity of what sin actually brings. See, it's a posture towards God that He's given you. He says, you have received a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba. Father, but you have not received, and I'll explain that in a minute, but you have not received a spirit of slavery uh, to fall back into fear. Ultimately, sin will bring slavery and fear. There's no way around this. This Again, the Genesis 3-4 lie of the serpent is you can sin and have no consequence. You're going to get away with this. 
No, you're not. No, you're not. It's going to bring slavery because there is this law of diminishing returns. Whatever sin, whatever disobedience you indulge in, it will satisfy for just a moment and then you've got to do it again. And you've got to go a little bit further than you've gone before. And the more you do that, the more you find yourself enslaved by something that will not turn loose of you, won't let go. And it brings not only slavery, it brings fear. And he says, friends, brothers, this is not you. This is not who you are. This is not what the Spirit of God is at work doing in you. This is the spirit of sin and slavery and fear. And in that, the ironic thing is that sin promises you're going to be free. You're going to get to do whatever you want. You get to be the boss. You get to be the captain. You get to tell uh, the world what you want to do and what you're going to do because you are the captain of your ship. Friends, you are the slave of that ship when you continue on in sin. And so Paul says, this is not what you received when you came into the Holy Spirit. Instead, on the opposite side of that, you received something beautiful, the spirit of adoption. That's something wonderful. You, you might go, man, this, this guy's going to have a lot to say about the spirit of adoption. I do. But not just because I'm an adopting father, but because I am an adopted son. Some of you know that my dad passed away November 13th of last year. Uh, as executor of his will, it is my job to see to it that I am uh, uh, distributing these things that are ours that are part of his estate. I am an adopted son of God. I have every legal right and every benefit of an adopted son, of a natural born son, because I am an adopted son of God through Jesus Christ. It's better than that. It's not just my legal rights in front of God. I have something better than legal rights and benefits. I have, as an adopted son of God, a heart that cries out, Abba, Father. This is so much better than just you get an inheritance, which I'm going to get is a son of my dad, but I'm also going to get, because I am, in the next verse it shows this, uh, heir of God with Christ. That's great. I'm excited about streets of gold. I'm excited. You know what's better than that? Before I even get there, I have a father who my heart cries out to. One uh, theologian said, this verse could be translated, we have a spirit that cries out, Father, my very own dear father. Like that, that's like joy to my soul because I was raised without much relationship with my dad. You know, some of you have had that and, and you've had that all your life. And I think back to my friend Garner Simpkins. Um, you know, he, he has such a great dad, has such a great dad. He was in Hawaii. He'd been invited by some church members to take a trip to Hawaii. I always kind of hated him for that. Nah, they're just teasing. He, but he was invited, and he, he, uh, he called me, and he didn't, uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't able to pick up the phone, and, and he called his dad and when he couldn't get a hold of me, and he said, Dad, what do I do? We're going to these expensive dinners I've been invited to, and we're splitting the tab three ways among three couples, and I can't afford the dinner that I'm you know, being invited to. How do I handle this? 
And I thought, what a, what a gift. I've, not, I've never had that. Not from my dad. I never could pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm in over my head here. What do I do? I didn't have that. I just didn't have that relationship. My dad didn't have that. But I realized I had been doing that with my heavenly father instinctively since I became a Christian. That if I found myself in a conversation I didn't know how to handle, I would silently just pray, Father, I, I don't quite know what to say here. I, I'm not sure what to do. If I felt intimidated, if I felt frightened, if I felt something was too complex, if I felt joy because I saw a beautiful sunset, Abba, Father, just crying out to Him, no matter where I'm at, no matter what this is in front of me, whether it be struggle, whether it be joy, crying out to Him. Do you see the gift of this? Some of you have great dads. Some of you do not. All of us in Christ have the greatest dad. We have a heavenly Father, and our spirit inside of us reaches up to Him as we rightly should. Yes, you get these legal benefits of being adopted. You get the privilege and the benefit of all that, but can you get something greater you get to crawl up into his lap. You get to crawl up into his lap and say to him, I have so much joy today because of this, or I'm worried because of this. You get to talk to him who created all things. Nothing's too complex for him. Nothing's too powerful for him. Powerful for him. Nothing frightens him. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he wants. Okay, that's your father. That's good. I don't know what you're facing today. I know this, that you're facing it, having God already checked it out before it got to you and God allowing it into your life and God there with you to walk through it. This is a great gift. And this starts on this side of heaven. This isn't just something you get to experience someday in heaven. This starts now and it's good. Friends, I don't want you... You know, one of the most frustrating things in the world for me was watching... Oh, that's a bigger statement than I mean to say. I was watching the movie uh, with Tom Hanks, uh, Castaway, and, and I kept thinking, this is so unrealistic. This man hasn't prayed once. <laughs> he's, he's on a deserted island, half dead, and then he gets there, and he hasn't cried out once to God. And, and, I, and I realized, oh, Maybe that's the Christian in me talking. Like I wouldn't go 10 seconds into some kind of situation like that, that I wouldn't be God. I get saying to God, I, I, one, thank you that I'm alive. I need to make fire, and you need to help me make fire. I'm not going to talk to some volleyball. I've got a father, and I'm going to talk to him. Friends, please learn this. Our Father longs to see your face in prayer. He's eager for you to turn to Him in your brokenness, in your insufficiency, and say to Him, Father, I need you. It honors Him for you to do that. It's your gift. You get that. So good. Ah, let's keep moving. So not only that, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children... We're heirs, heirs with uh, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided that we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Well, there's a lot there, but I want you to hear this loud and clear. There is an internal alignment that happens for the believer. 
that says this, the Holy Spirit aligns with my spirit saying, you are not alone, you are not an orphan. You're mine. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Now, this is something that affirms for us that we're not unsaved people with all the right doctrine. Uh, This is a conversation I've had with a lot of Christians. How do you know for sure that you're saved? And I'm always pleased with that question. I don't think non-saved people worry much about, am I really saved? How do I know if I'm saved? My uh, answer to that would be, Let's talk about the life of the Spirit inside of you and, and, and try to pray that God would bring evidence to mind. Because if you find out that you are not really saved and you have all the right answers, what a gift. Now you can say to God, I've got all the right aha uh-huh moments, but I don't know that I know you. I don't know that we're right because I've been trying to do it through my own flesh and following the rules. God, that's never going to work. Please save me. Man, that's, that's a great gift. To me, I'd say that's the Spirit of God moving in your life. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. There's that alignment of Him saying, this is no longer about rules. This is no longer about being good and versus being bad. This is about knowing and loving the God who has saved you. And something lines up there that says, we are the children of God. I am no longer an orphan. I have a light burning in me that is foreign to my natural state. It is the light and life of Jesus Christ Himself living in me. Undoubtedly, there are times in our life when that light burns kind of low and it burns, it's, it's kind of smoldering, right? And there are other times when it's a vibrant fire alive in you. My job, Michael Collins' job, is that we might fan into flames the life of Christ in you. We want you to know who you are. And we want you to feel that beautiful affirmation in your own inner person that you are a child of God. Now for some of you, I think it would be natural that you have maybe a frightening moment right now. You're like... I've been raised in the church and I don't know for sure that I've experienced what you're talking about. Friends, count that a gift. Count that a great gift. Come and speak with me. Come and speak with Michael Collins. Talk to Bob Huntley or Kristen Nasso. Come and talk to them about what it means that the Spirit of God would bear witness with your spirit that you really are a child of God. If you are encountering that doubt and that fear, that is spirit-born affirming God calling you to Himself, and that's a great gift. If today you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts as they did at Meribah. It's a, it's a verse in the book of Hebrews saying, hey, listen to that voice, respond to that voice. Now for others, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> this has been one of your joys, is that you know that you're a child of God and something in you is just enjoying and relishing in that truth as you hear this sermon being preached right now. We still want you to just draw near and enjoy that. Something that happens next here, he says, If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God with Christ. This is something I was alluding to earlier. All three of my mom and dad's kids, me, my brother, and sister, all of us get to partake in the estate. It is my dad's estate. 
when I got into uh, this role, I, I realized as I walked into his house, all of this stuff, and there was a lot of stuff, is now mine, but not mine alone, mine with my brother and sister. Everything, his truck, his safety deposit box, his furniture, his house, all of it belongs to me now. He had a lot of stuff, right? Some of it was worth value and some of it not so much, right? The good stuff, the bad stuff, it was all mine. It was all my brothers and sisters. And so I had that honor, that privilege, that right, because I am his son, that I could take that stuff and, according to his will, will sell it and split it three ways. And that's exactly what we've done, right? It's all ours. Well, guess what? We look at this verse and we say, we are heirs because we are children of God, but not only heirs, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What does Christ get? Because whatever He gets, we get it too. <laughs> Psalm verse 2 and verse 9 speaks about uh, Jesus as the one who will inherit the nations, all the possessions of the earth. Okay, so someone's a billionaire. I was looking at a documentary, I was watching a fascinating documentary on John D. Rockefeller, America's first billionaire. Standard Oil was his company, right? And at as he died and he distributed his estate to his children, they all became filthy rich. And then his children, selling off their positions, had the largest art collection in American history sold at auction. All of that stuff, all those homes, all those paintings went to the Rockefeller family. Okay, but they got that for how long? They get that for this tiny little sliver called life here on earth. And then what? Sure, they're rich for the time. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 6 speaks about God giving wealth and the capacity to enjoy it. See, friends, I want you to hear this. Someday we will have uh, great possessions because of Christ. Did you say that? hate that. We will have that because of Christ. We will inherit the nations with Christ. We will inherit all the possessions of the world. And that will be eternal. Eternal. If you're a billionaire here on earth and you don't know the Lord, what a shameful pity. You get to be rich for this little tiny portion of time. Believers in Christ have eternal wealth. The wealth is not just these possessions. I Candidly, I look forward to whatever streets of gold look like and whatever uh, uh, house with many rooms means for me. I think that's going to be fun. I look forward to that. There's something I look forward to even more. And I already have a taste of it now. Man, I want to be able to worship God with absolute freedom. No sin. I want to be able to sing with this great powerful voice that each believer will have in heaven. I want to have fellowship that's not clouded by my insecurities and fears. Uh, I want that because I get that in Christ. And I already have a taste of it now. It's my inheritance. I get the down payment on it because the Spirit of God lives in me now. I get to have that in its fullness. So that's our inheritance. It's eternal. It's not just for a little bitty time. But then it says, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You kind of read that verse and go, man, come on, we we're all having a good time and talking. And man, talking, and you're all excited. And then it says, provided that we suffer with Him. What's that about? <laughs> Friends, following Jesus 
is following him to a cross. You know, it, it, it's very clear in the scriptures that Jesus is calling us to follow him into our own crucifixion. The death of self, not the pursuit of self. The letting go of my ambitions, my hopes, my dreams, my comforts, my preferences in, in light of living for Christ. Letting go of this. You read it in Matthew chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 16. He who follows me must take up his cross, must take up his cross and die to himself. Well, this is suffering. Romans chapter 6 speaks about if we've been crucified with him, we will be raised with him to walk in the newness of life. I can't promise you, and I, and I hate it when I hear this, that following Jesus means that all your... Uh, Wants are going to come your way. In fact, I can tell you honestly, one of the marks of, believer, of a believer is that they will suffer with Christ. They will be ridiculed for following Christ. They will be isolated. They will be left out. They will be um, seen as uh, old school, Bible thumping, whatever. That is part of following Christ. There is life and joy in letting go of selfish pursuits here for the glory of Christ. I know it doesn't look that way. In fact, we should be able to say of our lives that we would be considered fools for our following of Christ. Fools for a moment, and then we come home. I want you to see and understand uh, that there is no Easter without Good Friday. That model of death of self is a model that we will follow also. That as you let go of the things you so cherished as your own, as your comfort, as your security, as you let go of those things and feel the vulnerability of that and the loneliness of that, you will also find the joy of fellowship with Christ and His people in new ways. How do I know that? I've done it several times. <laughs> it's not a one and done thing. I consider Michael and Rachel moving here um, in fact, this week, in fact, you, you don't know this just right now, but Michael is actually here with me in my office, and I love it. I'm so glad he's here. I know what cost he just paid to leave a church that he founded, that he and his wife built friendships and life and community there, and they let go of that. Why? To move to Georgetown. Why? To plant Redeemer Georgetown with us. To plant something that will come at great cost to them personally, uh, comfort-wise. I know because I did that a year ago, a little over a year ago. And I find myself, at times, I was thinking, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Can I just stay here? Uh, there were several times I took a trip down here. And I was like, man, I, I just want to stay where I'm comfortable and familiar and my kids are. And God calls us into this death. He calls us to let go. He calls us to trust Him again and again and again. And many of you are letting go of that as well. Many of you are letting go of something that was familiar and comfortable to you to come and be a part of this. And there are going to be times you're going to be thinking, man, what have I committed to? <laughs> I don't want to do this. I've never shared the gospel that I didn't, with a, with a stranger or with maybe even a loved one, that I didn't have a sense of, okay, this is awkward and this is weird and what if they reject me? What if they say something? What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? I've never had those experiences that I didn't find that the Lord met me in that and gave me power for that. There is a lifetime of letting go of comfort, convenience, 
uh, safety so that you might follow Christ and enjoy the fellowship of His Spirit alive inside of you. These are the evidences that we really are saved, that we would suffer with Him, that we would walk through this life following Jesus to a cross and watching Him bring an Easter out of Good Friday. I, I hope that you can see this connection. We every week take communion, don't we? We take communion, and I want you to think about that word communion. Uh, it means we get to have community with God. We get to have union with God because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we want you to eat, drink, and remember that every single chance we get when we come together. We want you to be reminded of what Christ did so that we could have union with his Father, with the Spirit, and with the Son. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. There is a great gift waiting for you as you are reminded of that truth and start to live in that truth, that the Spirit of God is calling you ever deeper into Himself, and that there is joy there waiting for you. And that's what we want you to have. No longer living as someone who is a Christian hillbilly. We'll say it that way. Someone who is ultimately uh, riches beyond your wildest dreams, and yet you'd still live in poverty. You still live with a sense of poverty, a sense that you are insufficient, don't have enough. Okay, you don't, but in Christ you have everything. And that's what our hope is, that you would hear the voice of God and respond to Him today. Let's pray. Let's ask God to open our hearts even wider to understand these things.